You are listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson, exploring biblical prophecy for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Welcome back to Prophet Pearls Face to Face, Whatever It Takes. This is Keith Johnson, along with Nehemia Gordon at the safe house in Jerusalem, not far from the Knesset, not far from Netanyahu's house. I don't know what happened, Nehemia. We're actually having to record this in advance, but Netanyahu was on his way to go and speak before the Congress of the United States. Uh, Purim is taking place last week. I don't know all that happened, but I tell you, it is exciting to be in Jerusalem during these times. Would you agree? Yeah, oh man, it really is. Exciting and a little scary. Yeah, it is. It, I should say that, yeah. It is, it is a little scary. But, you know, when I think about um, something that we talked about in last week, we talked about uh, the name Israel. We didn't talk about it in, in, in detail, but the phrase itself uh, that was referred back to Jacob and being called Israel. You know, there's going to be contention with man and with God. And uh, they're going to gonna prevail, so I'm believing that. You, mm-hmm. you still with me on that? Oh, <laughs> We're actually going to be dealing two sections of him. You've got to explain this. This kind of stuff just really frustrates me. I mean, you've got two sections. All right. So can so you explain all, what's happening? I just want to remind people this whole idea of reading a section, even of the Torah, every week. In the synagogue, that's tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are actually different traditions. Mm-hmm. There's one tradition which is the more common one today, which reads the Torah over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. And the less common one, which may actually be more ancient, which is that they read the Torah over the course of three and a half years, which meant twice every seven years, meaning twice every sabbatical cycle, they read the Torah. Um, we really, for the purposes of, of this program, we decided we're going to read the, the portions or, or discuss the portions based on this annual cycle, mm-hmm. just because it's very widespread. And the idea was that you know somebody somewhere... Uh, wants to you know go and look at some study, and this is very common in the Jewish world. They'll you know they'll 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 say, okay, this week's Torah portion is you know Vayakel. Let me go see what people are saying on Vayakel, and they'll go to various websites and various resources, and, and it'll include our stuff. Our right? stuff will be shown. oh, and, and we've had people who you know who have no connection to anything that we're doing whatsoever, who just you know they're Jews, and just you know out of the blue they Google it and they say, oh Vayakel, oh what. A Christian and a Karite, and you know, a Methodist and a Karite are doing this. Uh, what? I want to hear what these guys have to say. And some of them like it, and some of them don't. Um, but basically, where it gets a little confusing is, you would think if there's 52 weeks in the year, that we should have 52 portions, right? Right. right. Except in the Hebrew year, there aren't 52 weeks, uh, <laughs> and and so there's actually 54 portions. Mm-hmm. And and the reason that um, there's 54 portions is that in a Hebrew leap year, you don't have an extra day. Like you do in the English leap year and the in the Gregorian leap year, in the Hebrew leap year you have an extra month, mm-hmm. and the extra month is four to five extra sections. And so what they did is they broke up the Torah into into fifty four sections, and they had some sections that could that are combined in some years and and broken apart in other years based on whether it's a leap year or not, and based on other factors. Um, for example, if there's a, a holiday that falls out on Shabbat, then you read a sec- special section for that holiday. Well, now you've just lost a, an opportunity to read a section from the, the regular Torah cycle. So then two sections would be combined and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets complicated that way. But basically, there's 54 sections. And this year, um, for example, in synagogues around the world on March 14th, 2015, they will be reading a double header. There will be a double header. It's a double header. Don't you have that like in, in football where you have a double header? <laughs> That's baseball. Oh, it's in baseball? <laughs> That's right. So in baseball, you buy one ticket and you go to the ballpark. You go to you know Comiskey Park or, or you know Wrigley Field and you see two baseball games. So what ha- what's going to happen on March 14th, 2015 is there will be a double header. People will come to the synagogue on Shabbat. 
synagogues around the world, and they'll hear two Torah portions, one after the other, um, Vayakel and Pekudeh. And so they're actually combined this year, and hence the prophet portions are also combined in this instance. So the first portion, or really the prophet portions is one in, uh, for this week, is 1 Kings chapter 7, mm-hmm. verse 40 through 8, chap- verse 21. Now in some years, it's 7 verses 40 to 50 the first week, and then the second week with the second portion it's uh, 1 Kings 7, 51 through 8, 21. Meaning they, they take it and they just break it apart into two. We're going to do it as one, first of all, because we're here for a short time in Jerusalem. And secondly, because on March 14th, they're doing it together. And that means, folks, this is a doubleheader for you. You're going to get a twofer. <laughs> this is a twofer, a doubleheader. So let's get right into it, Nehemiah. Um, we're going to be uh, talking in uh, 1 Kings chapter 7, uh, verse 40. And this is one of these situations where, you know, I, I, I say this a lot. Um, it, it's sometimes hard if you don't get context, but of course the way the the way the game works, I yeah. use the word carefully, the game is that there are certain sections that were selected where they didn't give context before right. or after. So we're going to have so, you check, yeah. well, people to check for well, themselves. Just, just to be clear, we didn't choose these sections. What we're yeah. doing is we're reading the traditional prophets portions. Mm-hmm. And the prophets portions is even more complicated. So in the Torah portion, you can read it over three and a half years or one year, but you're reading the same section mm-hmm. just over, over a different period of time. Uh, or you're reading the same. Ultimately, you're reading, you know, the five books of Moses for the Torah portions. For the prophet portions, they're actually even for those who read it over the course of a year. There are different traditions between Ashkenazim and Sephardim yes. yes. and Italian Jews and Yemenite Jews. There's different Jewish communities that have different sections that they read. We just decided to use the most common one, which is the Ashkenazic one. They're the largest group in the Jewish world. Um, but there's other sections that people... And when read. I don't like it, we'll use the Methodist tradition. So here we go. Is there a Methodist tradition? <laughs> reading <laughs> prophet portions? Yeah, right. No, no okay. I will say this. Folks, do, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the original Torah pearls, Nehemia, you did something really cool last week. You talked about yeah. um, the, the motorcycle video we did, which was... Yeah. I, I know we, if you didn't see that, folks, you, you, you didn't miss it. It's still available. But, um, you know, we did the Torah portions. Mm-hmm. Uh now three years ago, was it, or was three? it four years? Or was ago? it four years? I, ago? I think it was four years ago. Yeah, we did that, and um, and and that that stands still stands to this day. People are listening to that. That those Torah portions were just uh, it was phenomenal. Sometimes we spent as much as as long as two plus hours recordings. We try not to do that, obviously with the with the prophet portions. But I think it's really cool that 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 work stands. What we did with the Torah pearls, yeah, it stands. It's there. People can want, listen to it, and I actually encourage people. To go to NehemiahsWall.com, BFAInternational.com, and listen to the prophet portions, uh, the prophet pearls, but also to go ahead and listen to the Torah pearls. And the original Torah pearls. Yeah, you say the original Torah pearls as if, uh, you know. Well, there's something out there which people are calling Torah pearls, which really isn't according to the same spirit of what we did three or four years ago. It's it's with a different cast. And look, can I tell you what I call it? Can I tell the people? I call them the imposter pearls. But, but there's the real, authentic, original Torah pearls that you can go to bfainternational.com and nechemiswall.com uh, and listen to. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll tell you something. Sometimes I think that you're so politically correct, and then other times you just leave the farm completely. <laughs> Look, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what I told the actual people who are doing that program. I said to them, I think it's great that you're discussing the Word of God. If only all of God's people would discuss His Word. But don't pretend to be something you're not. Don't call it by the name that represents something completely different. Huh. Choose a different name and call it that, but don't try to misrepresent yourself as Keith and Chemia. Okay. Well, I actually appreciate that. You know, yeah. one of the things I do I think, think it's great. Everybody should we, talk we, about um, God's Word. We, yeah, I think everyone really should. And I think what's really, really been powerful, Nehemia, is that we really have gotten a chance to reach so many different people. I, I'm just shocked. I'm still surprised at the diversity of people that listen to um, not only Torah Pearls, 
the original yeah. Torah Pearls program, but that are now listening to Prophet Pearls. And yeah. I have to get through a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, we call them the Maccabees. They're actually sponsoring both of these sections. Wow. And so we appreciate them. Maccabees, those are out there. We really appreciate what you've done. Uh, again, we want to encourage people to leave comments uh, at both uh, sites, bfainternational.com and nehemiaswall.com. Um, because people are interacting with this information and really your perspective can be a real blessing to others. So please um, make sure that you make some, leave some comments. Let's get right into this, Nehemiah. There are some yeah. real, we're going to try not to read verse by verse. We talked about this. Now that we're here face to face, let's have some fun. Um, there's going to be some times where we can, you know, obviously go verse by verse, but other times we're talking about a concept. And and, and, and in this in this section, this is kind of exciting to me. Um, we start out with uh, verse verse 40. It says, now Hiram, and of course, when I hear that word, I simply want to know who that person is. Uh, we can, you can do the research on who he is and, and what he does and, and his skill set. But it says he made the basins and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished doing all the work which he had performed for King Solomon. And then it says, whoa, it, whoa, wait, whoa. let me. Are you done with the verse? No, oh, just oh, do, oh. no, no, no. For King Solomon in the house of the Lord. It's yeah. a Beit Yehovah here is mm-hmm. what I see in the Hebrew. But um this, this has to do with the house. As we're talking about, we talked about it before, the place where he caused his name to dwell. Um, this place is a physical place. It's a place that we actually can walk to if we had the time and we weren't uh, recording all day, every day. Could we walk? There? No, no. I, uh, listen, and let me Let's just say something. about that. I want to talk about that because <laughs> I want to get there. Look at me. Folks, I got to yeah. tell you something. He's got me in this safe house. Uh, there's nothing in the refrigerator. Uh, he locked the door on me. Uh, I've been here for about 20 hours or so. I've got to get out in the i got to get to the place where he caused his name to dwell. I mean, that's, we, we can we, we can go over there. We, Is it safe? Are you allowed to legally? Absolutely, you can go there. Okay. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's more we can talk about when we get into this. But we're talking about this place, the house, the Beit Yehovah. Can you yeah. do me a favor, just traditionally? Yeah. What, what would be the traditional Jewish uh, title for that place? Beit HaMikdash. Okay, tell us what that is. The house of the sanctuary. The house of the sanctuary. In fact, that was such a common phrase that I'll be, I'll be honest with you, when I, when, you know, there was a time in my life where I, you know, I, early on I studied uh, scripture in a certain way. We would read a verse, read the rabbinical commentary, read a verse, read the rabbinical commentary. And I was told never read a, a verses of scripture without the running rabbinical commentary. And at a certain point in my life I said, it's time to cast off the crutches mm-hmm. and walk, you know, tear off the training wheels and actually read it for myself without the commentary, see what it actually says. And I, and one of the things that really shocked me is that the phrase Beit HaMikdash does not appear in the Tanakh. I couldn't believe it because it was a word that I heard from really probably when I was first able to speak. It was a word that, you know, of course, in my pronunciation back in, Tell us why. in America, so we call it the, the Beit HaMikdash or the Beit HaMikdash in Israeli pronunciation mm-hmm. is that it's funny. There was a time when I didn't even know how to translate it into English. If if I if I had met you when I was you know I don't know ten years old and and I said base amigdash and you said what's that and you know what is that in English and I'd say well what do you mean that is English what that is English that's, <laughs> that's, that's what it's called yeah, there, yeah. there is no word for it in English yeah. and now I know you know it's called the Holy Temple in Jerusalem or you know because I've read that in books but um you know it, it's really a part of everyday speech in in in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Jewish experience mm-hmm. and the base amigdash or base amigdash and and um, and, uh, you know, the phrase actually doesn't appear in the, in the scripture, in the Tanakh. It appears as Beit Yehovah or Beit, you know, Beit Elohim or mm-hmm. the house of Yehovah or the house of God. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's what we're talking about. And, and I have to tell you that it is, it is, it is central. Um, 
Well, it's central in a, in a number in a number of ways. It, it says here, um, he says it says uh, which he performed for King Solomon in the house of the Beit Yehovah is what it says mm -hmm. here. The two pillars and the two bowls of the capitals which were on the top of the two pillars and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the capitals which were on top of the pillars. And it goes on yeah. to talk about these pillars and to talk about the specific aspects of this. And I will say there's there's sort of this idea, Nehemiah, that you can get the big picture and then you can get the, 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 the real detail. Yeah. And and there are some things that um, that in this section that I have to be honest are going to be hard for me not to just uh, want to spend all the time on. But but it's a it's a it's a big section. So we're going to try to get the big picture. But one thing I want to make sure that people understand is that um, this this house um, is significant not only in Jewish tradition. It's significant in biblical understanding of what this is. This house, the Beit Yehovah. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. it's uh, how can I say it? I mean, it's a central it's a central concept. It's a central theme throughout what, what Yehovah was doing and what he's not only for the, the then today, but also for tomorrow. And, and just to clarify, by the way, in two Chronicles thirty six seventeen, it has the phrase Beit Mikdasham, mm -hmm. um, the house of their temple, um, referring to the temple in Jerusalem. And that actually is Beit HaMikdash. Uh, it's, it's a variant of it, mm -hmm. meaning the actual phrase Beit HaMikdash doesn't appear. Beit Mikdasham does. It's interesting because do you know what Jerusalem is called by the Arabs today? Uh -huh. What's it called? The Arabic name for Jerusalem is Al-Quds. Al-Quds. And, and if you look in the early Arab sources from, you know, 1300 years ago or so, they don't call it Al-Quds. They call it Beit al-Muqaddis, mm -hmm. which is just the Arabic Beit HaMikdash. Mm -hmm. Do you know about the terrorist, you know the terrorist group that uses that word, the phrase, the Beit? Uh, you, no, you, I actually you, don't. You do. They're in, the, they're in the Sinai. I don't know. You do know. The, remind me. Ah! There's a terrorist group who calls themselves Beit HaMikdash. They use the uh, a variant of that of that actual phrase. Oh, the Al-Quds? Uh, no, 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 of the, of the Mikdash. I didn't know that. Yeah, you did. We talked or about it. Or maybe I did. I don't, well, I don't remember. There's so many terrorist groups who can keep track of them all. <laughs> um, but the point is that, that, you know, the irony here is that you'll have Muslims who will come along and say, oh, no, the Jews never had a temple in Jerusalem. Exactly. Hey, guys, what's the Arabic name for Jerusalem in the early sources? Beit al-Muqadis? What do you think that is? It's Beit al-Mikdash. Like, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? Well, that's why I, I um, wish I had off the top of my head the, the name of this group that's in the Sinai. But they use the variant in the Arabic really? word, the word for Makdis. Should we Google it? Yeah, you, while you look for that, the, the yeah. terrorist group that's in the, the Sinai that uses the word Maktis. Um, while, while you're doing that, can I read? Sure. Uh, it says here. Oh, Ansar Beit al Maktis. Ah, al Maktis. Oh. You see what I'm saying? It's um, the my Arabic isn't good enough to say if Mal Maktis is the same as Al Mukat. It is. What I are you talking about? Though. I checked in the background on this. Okay, but said that. I'm not an Arabic <laughs> expert, but. Neither am yeah. I. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but it says here, it says, and it's talking about the pails, the shovels. Oh, yeah, and it says here in, Google, in, you know, in Wikipedia, for what that's worth, it says Ansar Beit al Maktis or Ansar Jerusalem. Exactly. I mean, they, they actually say Beit al Maktis or Al Muqaddis. And what's so is funny, Jerusalem. and when I use this word carefully when I say it's funny, is that, uh, you know, you have, I've, I was in, uh, last year I was in uh, Israel with a, with a, a Madrik a tour guide, and uh -huh. he, uh, they called, he called oh, the Madrik. And uh, okay. anyway, so he's a tour guide, and we were talking, we were walking down in the old city of Jerusalem. Yeah. And he was talking about, uh, he's used the word Beit HaMikdash. Yeah. And there's a, 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 an Arab man who walked out and came out and he yelled at him. And he said, you will not call it that. You will call it uh, the... Um, Haram al-Sharif. Haram al-Sharif. That's the Temple Mount. And the, the Temple Mount. And they had an argument back and forth. And this guy was the guy that actually told me this. He said to the Arab guys, he says, tell me the name of what it was called before you ever called it that. 
And the guy had no clue. And he, he runs, really didn't know. He didn't wow. know. And he ran him down the list. Oh, interesting. And it was a, from a historical standpoint. And what I appreciated about it is that there's this 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 tension, Remia, mm-hmm. when you're on the Temple Mount. The, I actually did an interview with uh, one of the one of the the head honchos of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the uh, Al Aqsa Mosque. Yeah. He actually met with the Pope. I saw him. He was walking across them. I walked up to the guy. I got my camera on, and I said. Weren't you the guy who met with the Pope and he stuck his chest out and his, and his security? No, listen, no, I got this on film. No, listen, he stuck his chest out yeah. and, and the guy says, "Absolutely, he's the he's the, one of the what do they call the the, the big sheikh uh, who, who, who who there were two of them that met with the Pope." Yeah, I don't know anything about this. But no, you know, what do you mean you don't know? Anything I don't know anything about. I know what you're talking about. So I go up to the guy, got my Pope camera, Benedict on or Pope, yeah, Pope uh, Benedict went up there the and, and, and they went to that there. But the whole point is. To, is to is to remove the history of yeah. this place. This is right, going to make right. significance. So there are different organizations, news organizations, uh, even the Catholic Church mm-hmm. decided not to call it, you know, the Temple Mount. Really? Oh, heck no! Oh, seriously? They, they use they use the the phrase uh, the uh, the Noble Sanctuary is what they used mm-hmm. to discuss about it. But anyway, so I go up to him and I say, "Aren't you the one of the head honchos for the Temple Mount?" And the guy goes nuts. The security guy, he says, it is not called the Temple Mount. You will take that off the tape. It is called Al-Aqsa. And, and no, no, I've got this on film. Okay. And, I'm, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You, it's not called. What, so <laughs> so you're, you're playing the guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not playing him. I didn't realize that. Oh, you I didn't know it was him. sensitive. Okay. Oh, how much of a button okay. I pushed because I was trying to get it to engage him mm-hmm. about what that place was. But again, back to the history of this place and the significance of it historically, grammatically, um, all of that and how it, the, the, mm-hmm. there's an attempt to remove that history present day when you go on the Temple Mount. I mean, to the point that they won't even mention. Oh, the to the temple. point where when they dig like, um, uh, you know, like a a trench for like to put in pipes and things like yeah. that. And they actually come across remnants of the temple mm-hmm. that's happened. Well, absolutely. And it's been photographed. They will within minutes come in with drills and drill down those remaining stones into powder. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been, a, and they do this all the time. There's been a few instances where it's been caught on film and, and uh, or at least on mm-hmm. photographs mm-hmm. where they actually found some of the foundations of the temple on the temple Mount and they came as quickly as they couldn't destroy. They want nothing to be left. Yeah, absolutely. Well, can, can I make a? Are we? Can no, I, please go okay. ahead. So, so I think it's. This is interesting. Um, first of all, there's a, a parallel for this passage that people can look at, which mm-hmm. is uh, two Chronicles chapter five. Yep. And it's always good when you're reading Kings uh, to look at the parallels in, in Chronicles. Um, we don't have time to go into all of that, but here within the verse in verse forty uh, that we're reading here. Um, you read the word, the name Hiram twice. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, well, what's the Hebrew for Hiram? Do you know? It says this. This is here, Hiram. And the other time, uh, the second time it is. Let me find here. Let's see. Uh, hi. So one time it's Hiram, and one time it's Hiram. Mm-hmm. One time it's O, and the other it's Ah. Hiram mm-hmm. and Hiram, mm-hmm. and it's clearly referring to the same person. So why that variant? And it's a very interesting variant on the guy. I mean, there's two forms of the guy's name. In within if, if, two or three words. <laughs> or, or within about five words. But yeah. imagine if, if sometimes I called you Keith and sometimes I called you, you know, yeah. Koth. I don't yeah. know. Right. Whatever. Um, and look, I go through that. My name is Nehemiah. And sometimes people call me Nehemiah and Nehemia. And all right, it is what it is. So Hiram or Hiram, uh, he has that name. But it's interesting that one time it's an O and one time it's an Ah. Now, here I've got to tell people that um, 
Hebrew's gone through some changes over time, and and some of these you know are really aren't disputed. And one of the ones that's not disputed is that the the sound uh, for ah. There's two different vowels for ah. One's called a kamatz, mm. and another's called a patach. The patach hasn't really changed, as far as we know. Mm. It always was like the a in father. Always was ah. Mm. But the kamatz in some dialects of Hebrew today retains its original sound, which in some instances is an o. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally, it probably they say it was something like an aw. It was something oh. between ah and o, which is aw. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. And, and this has to do with kamatz katan and kamatz uh, uh, gadol. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into that. People don't know what that is. Um, but but um, just for those who know Hebrew, you have the Hebrew word rosh, which is head. Mm-hmm. But then the plural of rosh is rashe. Mm-hmm. So where'd you get that ah if it's o? And that's because the kamatz is actually related to the to the cholam, to the mm-hmm. o. And um, what all that means is the original Hebrew... Uh, as far as we know, the uh, this sound kamatz probably was something like awe, mm-hmm. like the a in saw or awe, um, like awe of God. Um, and so what that means is the name Yehovah in the original language was probably something like Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have been an awe sound, um, and in one dialect of Hebrew, it may have even been Yehovah, mm-hmm. Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I'm, you know, I talked about the, I've talked in the last, in the, in the past about the vowels in the Aleppo Codex and the Leningrad Codex. Those tell us what the vowels are. They don't necessarily tell us how to pronounce those vowels. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, based on the very same vowels I found uh, in some dialects of Hebrew, Yehovah would be pronounced Yehovah, mm-hmm. and that's a hundred percent legitimate. It's like the difference between. You know, American English and British English, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and look, there's people who speak, you know, English different than the way we speak it. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the people around them understand them perfectly. And even today we can understand them. Um, and, you know, I think that's interesting. So that's actually what's going on here in the verse that so we have Hiram and Hiram. Um, they're they're so close, they're the, interchangeable. Here's what's so funny, Nehemi, the way you just got through saying it. So like when I'm reading it, so so I don't see. So, so both times in English, it's Hiram. OK, mm-hmm. so this one, which says here. Hear them, okay? There's the race right there, uh-huh. and and when you when you pronounce this, you didn't pronounce it with any. You pronounced it with a race. No, I, uh, we're, you we're down here. Okay. Hiram. Hiram. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. That's why. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> All right. Okay. So it says here uh, the two pillars. Of two, okay, we're talking about that in the verse verse forty two. The 400 pomegranates for the two networks, the two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowls. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> we can't read every verse. We skip okay. to verse 47. You want to go to 47? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. All right, no, read it. Go ahead. Solomon left all the utensils because they were too many. The weight of the bronze could not be ascertained. Right. And that's interesting that yours has bronze. Um, the Hebrew word is nechoshet, mm. which I, I would, by you know, all things being equal, I would translate as copper. Mm-hmm. But you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Because bronze is simply, I think it's 90% copper, 10% tin. Mm-hmm. And they added in that tin to, to make the copper harder. Otherwise, mm-hmm. copper is very flexible. But basically, it's copper with some tin added in. Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. There, you know, so it's giving us the amount of gold there is and et cetera, and these different materials. Mm-hmm. But there's so much, so much bronze or copper that we can't even measure it. I think that's interesting. And it says, Lo it was not investigated, is literally what it says. Uh-huh. And it reminds me of you know the description of Yehovah. It says, en There is no uh, investigation of his greatness. Where is that verse? Where is that verse That, at? that is in, um, <laughs> uh, let's see, it's, um, well, so here, uh, there's a few verses, actually. So the one I was thinking of is Psalm 145, verse 3. 
which it says, Gadol Holal Ma'od, great is Yehovah and very, uh, and wonderfully, uh, or very much praised, and to his greatness there is no investigation. And let's see what you have in your English. I don't know how it's translated. Um, uh, it says, and great to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Mm-hmm. And really, the image there is, look, we could try to make a tally of how great he is, mm-hmm. but it's beyond human computation. Mm-hmm. And, and so what they're saying here is there's so much copper, we can't even keep track of it all. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of Yehovah. It's beyond our, our ability to even comprehend and to calculate how amazing he is, how totally mm-hmm. awesome and wonderful and, and great and powerful. So we were, we were as we were getting ready to we were, we were going through this. You were just talking about those these first ten verses. So when you yeah. when you're reading through these verses, you said yada yada yada. Why do you say yada yada yada? I'm just a little confused here. What do, what do you mean yada yada yada? The, this these this is not the word of God. I mean, no, it is the word of God. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I want to bring something. But look, we've got 33 verses. We can't spend if we spend 10 minutes on each one of the 33 verses. That's a five hour program. <laughs> we're not going to be able to do it. And I'm only going to get 15 minutes of those. Five. Amen. Praise God. Listen, I do want. To bring something up yeah. in these first ten okay. verses, just and this is really something that's sure. been something I've thought about, and it has to do with um, you know oftentimes we hear Solomon. Solomon was the one who 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 um, who built this uh, this amazing place, right. Right. Um, but then there's a, there's there's a simple little statement um, that I want to stop at, and I want you to check something on your computer sure. if you could. Absolutely. In verse fifty one, can I go to fifty one? Sure. It says, "Thus all the work that that's past my yada 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 though." No, is it past your yada yada yeah. yada? Okay, wait, wait. The yada 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 was this list of they made this and they made that and there were ten of these and there was one of those and when does your yada yada stop? I just jumped to verse forty seven. So now we're at, we've, we got through verse forty seven. Okay, he left all. Okay, so then so so it says. And look, there's a lot of interesting things here. They're casting things and in the in the thickness of the ground and the we could talk about every one of these things. For, I could talk about them for hours. <laughs> hours. <laughs> Well, we, we are. Yeah. We, I do think it's really interesting because we're getting into the details of the lampstands. Yeah, five on the right and five on the left in front of the inner sanctuary. That's this week's image that we had yeah. made by uh, yeah. Lane Forrest. Absolutely, a, a young artist. Make sure they see that. That's yeah. pretty amazing. beautiful. So you know, she just so she reads it and then she she she, she draws. Is that yeah? It? Is that the idea? Yeah. Wow. How pretty old cool. is she? Um, um, you got me on the spot here. She's young. Okay. Well, anyways, it's talking about the cups and the snuffers of the bowls and the spoons, the fire palms, the pure gold, etc. And and then it says, and the hinges, both of the doors of the inner house, the most holy place. Now, when you hear that, the most holy place. Um, yeah. uh, uh, in, in English, it's what we call holy of holies. It calls the holy of holies, okay. And for the doors of the house, that is, um, it says the nave of gold. Uh, thus, all the work that King Solomon, here's the verse I really wanted to talk about for a second. Yeah. So oftentimes when I read about this, you hear about Solomon building the temple, Solomon building the temple, Solomon building the temple. And there's this little phrase that says, and Solomon brought in the things dedicated by his father, David. What verse you mean? 51. Oh, okay. Yeah. The yeah. silver and the gold and the utensils. And and one of the things that I wanted to have us check um, was this idea of David being given a pattern for what the temple was. I mean, it's something that... It I, wasn't just a pattern. So, so so, the issue with David is he wanted to build the temple. And I think we, we, we wanted to we, get to this and we yep, didn't have time. We didn't have time. But so basically David had spilled blood. He, mm-hmm. you know, he killed, even though he killed justifiably mm-hmm. in some, you know, in many instances. But because he had spilled all this blood, God said, look, you're not going to be the one to build it. It's it, And this go, went back to this idea of, you know, of, um, of making the... the 
the altar of unhewn stones so that metal doesn't touch it. Mm-hmm. And then when and Solomon built his temple, and this is when we were getting cut off, I think, so we didn't get to it. Um, you know, it says he he uh, there was no stone, no sword. It says that was heard in the sanctuary. And the idea is that the temple is a temple of peace, mm-hmm. and 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 it can't be involved in death and destruction. You know, our faith of Israel is a is a faith of life, not a faith of death. Mm-hmm. Death. We don't glorify death um, the way some faiths do. Who you know who say that they love death more than we love life. It's true. Mm-hmm. We do. We love life. And so when you know when David wanted to build the temple, God said, "It's not going to be you. Maybe it can be your son, but you you've spilled too much blood mm-hmm. to build my temple." And so God allowed David to then prepare some of the things for the temple, mm-hmm. and that's what David ended up doing. Is he prepared some of the rituals and some of the services, and, and you know a lot of this is talked about in more details in Chronicles and in Kings. It's just kind of glossed over, like yeah, that mm-hmm. happened, or in you know in Samuel mm-hmm. and Kings, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, so he prepared a bunch of the stuff for the temple. Mm-hmm. What you got there? So, in the, and, and actually, what I was what I was looking at First Chronicles twenty eight. If you can do me a favor, would you look at this real quick? First Chronicles. I'm in a little bit of a struggle because my suitcase didn't make it, folks. Did. And in my suitcase, I have a, a folder, and I have my other Bible, and I have some other things, including my a charger for my computer. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm limited on what I can do. Nehemiah is going to have to help me here. What do you uh, got? First Chronicles twenty eight eleven through twelve and eighteen nineteen. What is this thing that David actually did did see? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So we got here, I'll I'll read you the JPS. It says, uh, David gave his son Solomon the plan of the porch and its houses, its storerooms and its upper chambers and inner chambers and of the place of the art cover and the plan of all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of Yehovah. Mm can we talk about that? <laughs> they had by the Spirit. Come on. That's not... <laughs> Wait, that, that, that's only from the New Testament where people okay. get things by the Spirit, right? Yeah, come on. Can, can Jews also have the Spirit? I guess they can. Um, we, uh, what he had by the Spirit. Of the courts of the house of Jehovah and all its surrounding chambers and the, of the treasuries and the house of God and of the treasuries of the holy things, etc. You, you want me to keep reading? Um, the idea is, is that David David yeah. was, was, was getting this pattern. He was getting right. this 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 by the spirit so again what yeah. i wanted to what i wanted to um do uh, for me that was important was to step back and say okay so initially though you say that as, as you mentioned david wasn't given the ability to actually um pre- to actually build it but he did do preparation he prepared the materials he prepared, he prepared, the prepared material, some of the rituals there was a pattern and, right it was this this that given right. by the spirit which i i don't know that kind of uh that that kind of um as we go later uh it, it becomes significant because solomon isn't just Pulling this out of the air, also though he asked for wisdom, he also had his father's um, the work that was given to him by the Spirit that was all yeah. then transferred to Solomon. So it's not often something that you hear about when you're um, when you're hearing about the about the temple being built. Yeah. All right. So okay. now let's get to the. Uh, so can we move on now? Sure. So could now. And by the way, so starting in in uh, the next chapter, which is chapter eight, verse one. Now we're going to jump for the parallel to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Got you. So can you do this? Yeah. When you're looking at the, the parallel, you said you've got the sec- uh, 2 Chronicles 6? Uh, uh, I mean, that's, I, could, I could open that up if you want. Yes. But uh, can we first look at the actual yes, verse? absolutely. And then we can talk about the parallel. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the yeah. heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers, households of the sons of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of Yehovah from the city of David, which is Zion. They're going to bring up mm-hmm. the Ark of the Covenant of Yehovah. Now, I, I, you know, this is one of these deals, Nehemiah, where you're going to have to just keep me on track because I think it's just, I just, 
you know, it's it's hard for me to hear that phrase and not go historically about the significance of the ark and its travels and getting where it is and where David had it and when now this is going to be the thing that that that's that's sitting down here ready. The house is now ready. And what is the house ready for? The house is ready for the for ark. The ark. And why yeah. the ark? Why the ark, Nehemiah? What is this? It's just a box. Why the ark? The house for the ark? I don't understand the question. You do understand the question. What's the significance of it being the ark? I mean, what what, what is so, that? So it's a box, Nehemiah. It's not just a box. I mean, the ark is is you know. So I mean, basically, the image we have in the Tanakh is the ark is sort of like the chariot of Jehovah, meaning you know it has the cherubs and and his voice is heard from between the cherubs mm-hmm. and he sits on it. That's you know he's called Yoshev HaKuvim, mm-hmm. he who sits upon the cherubs, that which mm-hmm. is the cherubs that cover the ark. Mm-hmm. So it's it's there's this image of the ark as the chariot or even the footstool of Jehovah. Mm-hmm. And that's actually an interesting verse um, in in Jeremiah. I don't think that's one of our portions, is it? So, so let's bring it. Um, so that you know, there's this image about you know the ark being the footstool of Jehovah, mm-hmm. and um, and then Jeremiah I think goes on to that. And I've got to find that verse. But um, let's see. Let's pretend I know where this is. And mm-hmm. give while me you're a looking, second. while yeah, you're looking, you got there, I'm well. setting you up. So the reason I was yeah. talking about this is we so it's Jeremiah three sixteen. Yep. And when you increase and are fertile in the land in those days, declares Jehovah, men shall no longer speak of the ark of the covenant of Jehovah, nor shall it come to mind. They shall not mention it or miss it or make another. And you know a lot of people stop there and they say, oh, the ark won't be important anymore. But then the next verse is really important. It says really? at that time they shall call Jerusalem throne of Jehovah. Mm. Okay, let's see what that is. Hebrew, Kisei Yehovah, literally this, the chair, mm. the throne of Yehovah, so not footstool, sorry. Um, and then it says, V'nikvu eleha kol and all the nations will be gathered to it, l'shem Yehovah Yerushalayim, to the name of Yehovah to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and they will no longer go after the the uh, rebelliousness of their evil heart. Mm-hmm. So I, I love this because this is one of these prophecies that's a prophecy about the nations coming and you know and, and embracing the God of Israel Amen. and um and it's connected here to the ark. Amen. You know, and there's people to this day who are saying, you know, like we even had the movie, the you know, Indiana Jones, he's looking for the Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. because we gotta have that Ark of the Covenant. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're told there'll be a time in the future in this end times scenario mm-hmm. that we won't be looking for the ark because the ark will be this chariot, this chair, this throne. Mm-hmm. It won't be the ark anymore. It'll be all of Jerusalem mm-hmm. will be the ark. And, and it's, it, do you know how, how amazing this is that we are sitting here in Jerusalem and in this city, in the very place where he placed his name forever. And we're mm-hmm. talking about this mm-hmm. at a time when the ark is no longer really remembered by people mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's no longer about the ark. And then we're starting to see the beginning of this prophecy being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You sitting here next to me is a, is, is, is a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. All the nations gathering Come on. and uh, to the name of Yehovah, to the name of Yehovah to Jerusalem. And what's the significance of that? We've got the ark, which is called by the name. Amen. You've got a whole teaching about that in the Open Second Door Samuel series. Chapter six, verse two. Second Samuel chapter six, verse two. Go ahead. Where is that? The ark. It's in First Samuel. Second Samuel chapter six, verse two. So in two Samuel six two, <laughs> the ark, which is called by the name, and here we have it saying we won't even need the ark. They're mm. going to come to the name of Jehovah in Jerusalem because mm. the city of Jerusalem will be called by the name. Amen. And you know, and I think that's why I think that's uh, when I say the significance of the, the of the ark itself. Yeah. The ark being called by the name, the house being built for the name. Yeah. Yehovah calling the ark 
in other words, referring to himself, obviously it is not him, but the idea yeah. that it is his name. And what does it represent? His word of God inside, his word of God outside. It's like the. It's like this. It, it isn't something that we want to lose lose sight of the significance of it. God's word. Nehemiah. Other than the creation, when he created the entire world, give me something else that God created that's in the earth. Something else other than he creating the, 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 the trees and the plants and the animals. Give me something that God created. I don't understand the question. Sure, you do answer. Don't ask. You don't understand. He spent six days creating the universe. He created the entire universe. Anything else that that he created after that? You know what else he did? He told Moses, listen, go up and put these two stones, and I'm going to write on these two stones. And then the second time, Moses, back after he broke them, and he says, and I'll write again. And aren't those two stones the stones that he put in In that place? And it's just like the place. It's like God's, not only God's And what are the first two words of the Ten Commandments Uh, on the stones? Anochi Yehovah, I am Yehovah. Come on with that. <laughs> yeah, and and you know here I got a, and this is where maybe a side thing, but okay, look, we're talking side. about it. Yeah, we're talking about the temple, and we're talking about how um, the temple will Jerusalem, the place of the temple, will still be important, but the ark won't be there. The you know Jerusalem will be called by the name, and you know it reminds me of you know uh, recently I did this teaching, um, you know in my ministry McCor Hebrew Foundation, and, and I and I was talking about um, the uh, the Samaritans. And how in the time of uh, the Second Temple period, there was the whole issue of the Maccabee Wars, mm-hmm. and they were being persecuted along with the Jews. And, and they realized, look, look, we're not Jews, we're foreigners. Why are we going to be persecuted just because we keep the Sabbath? And they wrote to Antiochus, who was the, the, the Greek king, the Seleucid Greek king, and they said, you know, we've got this temple over here in Mount Grizim in, in Shechem, and it's an anonymous temple. It's a temple which doesn't have a name. And, and and if you don't understand the Hebrew context and culture, they'd be like, what do you mean? The temple doesn't have a name. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, because the temple in Jerusalem was called Beit Yehovah, Beit the house of Yehovah. The mm-hmm. temple in Jerusalem had a name. The temple in Jerusalem was the place which is described in Scripture as the place where Yehovah caused his name to dwell, where Yehovah put his name forever. And the Samaritans are writing to Antiochus and saying, we have a temple that doesn't have a name. And here's an idea. You can give it a name. And they suggest that they that they'll that 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 temple be named after Jupiter, which is the the pagan deity or Zeus in in the Greek. Um, to the Romans, it was Jupiter, um, and that's a whole different discussion. It gets really fascinating because mm-hmm. then later the people who say Yahweh or Yahweh they um, actually tra- that traces back to a Samaritan source mm-hmm. where we're told the Samaritans call upon God. God is Yahweh, and we find out in about. 165 or 168 BCE, they're na- they're saying their temple is Anonumon. It's an anonymous temple, and they want to have it. They want to give it a name, and the name they give it isn't the name Yehovah Yehovave. It's the name of a pagan deity. But that's a different isn't that something? Yeah, isn't that something? Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. But the the name, the name for this temple and for this place and this city, this is a central concept, a central theme mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Scriptures. Amen. And again, the idea that Yehovah says this is he says you have not built a house, built a house for me. Speaking for him, meaning for his representation right. of who he is right. that ark becoming the thing that's carrying his name his right. word well and and, and then yeah. going back to the temple because that's what this whole passage is about yep. the very fact that, that i grew up calling it beta migdash mm. the house of the sanctuary and it used to be called biblically beta yehovah mm-hmm. i mean there's something going on there there's an agenda to stamp out his name Amen. even from the place where he put his name forever exactly. to the pl- it's called the house of Yehovah, yeah. and um, and so we in the Jewish world have now called it the house of of the sanctuary, mm-hmm. which is wonderful and beautiful. But we're missing part of the picture. Mm-hmm. Where where um, what we've done is we've de-emphasized that name, exactly. You know, and, and to the point where you'll talk to the average Jew and you'll talk, talk about how you know Yehovah's name, and they'll say, well, "What is 
what is why are you obsessed with this name? Mm. What does this name have to do with the temple? Mm. What do you mean? What does it have to do with the temple? <laughs> That's the it's the central. He put his, his name there, there forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, going on, it says that uh, he, all these folks came, all these men, all the assemblers, the leaders, they came, ate to, they assembled before the king. Uh, and then it says, and this is an interesting one. I want to throw this one to you. Yeah. Uh, it says a different name of a, a month. It says Ethanim, uh, which is the seventh month. So do you know how, I, I know I know there are other other examples where yeah. we get one name and then we also get the numerical. There's three. Is it well, three there's, there, there's, I should say there's three for these, um, mm-hmm. this particular set of names. And then there's a bunch for the Babylonian names. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, in Judaism, what I grew up with is we, we refer to the names as of the months as Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz. And, and when you get to Tammuz, you're like, wait a minute, Tammuz is the name of a pagan deity. And and no one disputes. The rabbis say the names of these months came, came from up. Babylon. Yes. They came up from Babylon. Now, the pre-Babylonian names are, uh, some people will say, are in, the, are, you know, in these passages in, in Kings. Here we have the month of Eitanim. It says in the feast, which is the seventh month. Um, except Etanim never appears in the Torah as the name of a month. What you, if, when you look in the Torah, what you find is the names of the months are first month, second, second month, month, third month, month etc. They're numbered. They're they're given you know sequential numbers. And so the biblical, the Torah name for this month is Hachodesh Hashvi'i, the seventh month. So where does Etanim come from? Etanim is obviously a Hebrew word. Well, so we're dealing, and this is something other people have pointed out. So there's three month names: uh, Etanim, Bul, and Ziv. And those each have numbers that correspond to them. And um, and some people have said, oh, those are the original Hebrew names before Babylon. No, mm-hmm. not at all. Those are actually the Babylonian month names. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm sorry. I, I, let me correct that. Not the Babylonian. Those are actually the Canaanite month names. Canaanite months. Um, and how, why do I say that? Because they only appear in this passage where we're dealing with the Canaanites. Uh, you know, Hiram of Tyre was a Canaanite king in Sidon. Um, or sorry, entire. Hiram of Tyre. Right. I'm thinking of Jezebel, which we spoke about an hour ago. People don't know that. Um, who was from Sidon. Um, so Hiram of Tyre was from Sidon. I'm overtired. And um, I'm overtired. Um, so Hiram of Tyre. Impressive. Hiram was extremely tired. Yes. Oh, my God. All right. So, what, what yeah, but anyways, the, the yeah, names. No, so, so, so in this passage, and we've talked about this before, I think. Yep. In this passage, we have the, only in this passage, we have these three names, Etanim, Ziv, and Bul. And, and we're told which is the seventh month, which is the eighth month. Yes. And, and one of the explanations is, which makes a lot of sense to me, is that, um, is that whoever wrote this, the prophet or whoever, he was, you know, there were documents that described the different things that were made and the time frame it was done. And some of these documents were prepared by these Canaanite workmen. Um, and for example, we have another workman whose name is Hiram mm-hmm. himself, and he's from the tribe of Naphtali, but he grew up in Tyre. There's some kind of whole mm-hmm. thing there where he's, you know, kind of um, in both cultures. And so he was able to work in both cultures. And, but if he came from that Tyrian culture, um, which was Canaanite, then he would have brought these names with him. And so when they're when they're telling us this in this holy prophetic history, they're taking the source, which says, in the month of Etanim, and then they explain for the Hebrew reader, for the Israelite reader, which for you Israelites is the seventh month, because maybe the Israelites didn't know what Etanim was. Exactly. And where it gets a little complicated or a little hairy is one of the months is called Bul, and Bul is the name of a Canaanite god. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can well, we talk about in the feast, Bechag? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. So what's the Chag in the seventh month, the mm. feast? 
It's Sukkot. It's Sukkot. It's the Feast of Sukkot. Mm-hmm. And here it's just called plain the Chag, the without Chag. saying which Chag. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, we don't even need to tell you which Chag. Yes. You know, it'd be like if I, if I said to you, you know, uh, we, we were having a barbecue in that, um, in, during the holiday in July. Yeah. I don't need to tell you it's yeah, the 4th it's, of July. July or you know, during, during what other holiday is in July? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, so, um, uh, it was it was a, you know a warm day in July and we were having the barbecue for the holiday. Um, mm-hmm. But which holiday? Well, obviously, the Fourth of July. So here, the feast is um, the seventh month, and it's and remember in Hebrew when we hear the word Chag, it's not just a feast. There's an implication there of pilgrimage feast. Pilgrimage feast. There's Chag is a pilgrimage feast, and that's significant because in the pilgrimage feast you make a pilgrimage to the temple, and now for the first time they're doing the pilgrimage not to the tabernacle, not just to the ark in the tent. To the actual temple, the house of Jehovah, and it's something you know. Three three phrases there mm-hmm. at the feast. One in the month of Itanim, mm-hmm. and in the seventh in the seventh month. So there's no. Confusion. Is that what your says in the seventh it, month? It says which is the seventh. Oh, which is okay. Yep, so you yep, got yep, the which is. Yep. So. All right. Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Mm-hmm. Um, they brought up the ark of Jehovah and the tent of meeting and all the holy tinsels. Now, I think it's interesting. It says they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting. So. What did they do with the tent of meeting? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a very good question. That's like, in other words, okay, so you're going to bring up the tent. What, what do you, where's, where, does, where's that in there? I don't see so that. So I can anywhere. tell you what tradition says, which what is, is the that they, they buried it in, under the temple. Yeah. Okay. They hid it under the temple. That, that you know, and some people will tell you, you know, it's very gay. It's, you know, hidden there under the temple. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, but we don't know that for sure. Um, it's interesting, though. Like, wait a minute. Back up here. According to one version of the story, the, the you know, when Shiloh was... Uh, after the Battle of Afek and the Canaanites, uh, or not the Canaanites, sorry, the Philistines are coming. Um, you know, in Eli, he's the high priest. He falls back and breaks his neck, breaks his neck, and then it's like you know, fade to black. It's gone. And then later on, we hear about how God abandoned the Tabernacle of Shiloh, and it kind of implies that's in Jeremiah that it was destroyed, that the Tabernacle was destroyed. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, there's a Tabernacle here, and mm-hmm. wait, so it wasn't destroyed. Destroyed, you know, mm. or maybe it was rebuilt. I don't know. It's the, yeah. there's some confusion. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, yeah. there's a couple times where we hear that show, showing up where, where this tent was, whether it was yeah. a different place or it was the same tent. And by the way, well, does your say tabernacle or does it say uh, tent of meeting? The tent and the priest brought them up. And the priest took up the ark uh, in the tent. Well, it literally says in, in the in the Aron Yehovah, and they brought up the ark of Yehovah, Be'et Oel Moed, mm-hmm. and the tent of meeting, Be'et Kolkleya Kodesh Hashem Oel, and all the holy vessels which were in the tent mm-hmm. um, and the Levitical priests uh, the, the priests and the Levites brought them up mm-hmm. so yeah they brought them up and why did they bring them up why didn't they bring them down into the valley you know there's this new theory out there oh boy it's really hot no, that the it. true temple was was right above the Gihon spring down in the city of David well wait a minute so why would they then bring it up and and for those who don't know the geography we've got this kind of uh, we have the peak Peak is, is, is a confusing word because you'll think of like, you know, the Rockies. Are you going to really describe it? Because you're going to make me want to go over there today. We have we have the top of the mountain <laughs> and then it slopes down. Yes. And then down uh, uh, on the slope is along the whole slope is the city of David. Mm-hmm. But at the top of that uh, of that hill, uh, hill is a better word, um, is is what we call the Temple Mount. And some people have said, oh, no, what you're calling the Temple Mount, that was a Roman fortress. And yeah. the real and the real temple was up above the Gihon Spring, which is in the city of David. And I asked myself, wait a minute, why do we repeatedly hear about bringing it up, raising it up, bringing it from the city of David, bringing it from Zion up? Well, no, wait a minute. If it's bringing it from Zion, then you'd bring it down if it's where they say. Exactly. But based on the geography that most people accept, the Temple Mount is geographically above 
I mean, Would you, you know, confusing you walk, you walk up that, you know, and, and if you're out of shape, you're, you're going to be panting. It's, it's, yeah. you're walking up. Yeah, I understand. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they brought it up. They brought it up. Um, and, it, and again, eight, five is interesting. It says they, they were, they were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Mm-hmm. However many there were, I mean, tens of thousands, who knows? I don't know. Doesn't, yeah. We doesn't know. say. Yeah. Uh, they brought the ark of the covenant or to its place. And what's its place? And then in English it says here, into the inter, inner sanctuary. I believe the word the word is, is Devere. Devere. That's the yes. word we've talked about related to the word Devorah, meaning yeah. B. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the inner sanctuary. Should that be the word of the week, Devere? Uh, I like it. Or you got another word. Uh, I think that's been the word of the week. We, we've used that before? Yeah. So okay. I'm going to save it for something else. Okay. we got awesome. a lot. Yeah. To the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Okay. Mm-hmm. They spread their wings over the place, the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark. And it's poles from above, but the poles were so long. Now, this is a phrase I want you to ask it. Uh, this is a, a phrase that's a different interpretation. Were the poles so long? What verse are you in? Verse 8. Okay. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. They are there to this day. And I like that phrase. They are there to this day. Ad hayomazeh. Ah, Until this God. very day. Yeah, I mean, when this is being written, can yeah. you imagine, though? I mean, I guess, it, this, this, that phrase just brings me back to, to, to the, the actual book being written. In other words, they're writing about it, writing about it, and they're saying, and they're there to this day. Well, that, that's really significant. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that, I, you know, really in Hebrew University, when I studied people talk, that we talked about in scholarship is, um, you know, we, we'd say, we're not just going to look at the, the book. We're going to look at the sources of the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they went too far and they made up sources. But here we clearly can see the sources of the book. Today we have a single book in Hebrew called the Book of Kings. Now in English it's one kings and two kings. But in Hebrew it's a single book, which means it was originally a single scroll. But even in the printed Bible it's one book. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're getting here a glimpse of in verse 8 is the source, a source. And in that source, because mm-hmm. the final book ends with after the destruction of the temple... In the time of King Jeconiah, mm-hmm. Jehoiachin, when he's raised up, I, I don't remember, it was in the 35th year or something like mm-hmm. that, of Jeconiah, he's raised out of prison uh, in Babylon, and it's like this mini happy ending that, you know, the king is still a prisoner in Babylon, but he's not doing that badly in prison. He's like, you know, <laughs> like really, that's, and that's the end of the book, which is amazing to me, because then we pop over to Chronicles, and we've got the whole situation where it ends with the the the, the decree of Cyrus, where the Israelites are allowed to come back, and, and you get the clear image. That there's no question, I think, in anybody's mind that the Book of Kings was obviously written before the decree of Cyrus, mm-hmm. because if it if that had happened, it would have been mentioned. Absolutely. Um, like in other words, you know, that's the happy ending of the story. You know, in Hollywood, you always have the happy ending. The happy ending of the story of the Book of Chronicles is well, they're they're called to come back by Cyrus and allowed to come back out of exile. And and in Kings, the the author of Kings doesn't know that that, that happened yet because it hasn't happened yet. Um, but anyway, we come here and we read, wait a minute, until this very day, but at the end of Kings, the, the temple was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So it's not until this very day when Kings was finalized, but it is to this very day for the source. For the source. And that's really interesting. This may have even been the Canaanite source, that Canaanite source that... Um, that you know described what the temple looked like, which mentioned the month of Eitanim, and then the prophet comes along and says, "Okay, I'm going to take that source and you know and, and tell just, you that's what this and, is, and, and, t- what and tell you what's yes. important, yes. and tell you the the spiritual message of it." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the spiritual message here is in verse uh, nine. Yes. Well, can we verse nine? I, I mean, I don't. I, I've always thought about this verse yeah. when I've read it, and I always think there's confusion. 
Okay. And the reason I say there's confusion is I'm like, wait, there's a different part where I heard something. So let me read the verse first of all yeah. in English. Then there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Israel. Stop right there. What do you mean? What happened to the what what happened to the uh, the manna? Was was the manna not in the uh, in, in, in the ark or was it beside the ark? Evidently it wasn't in the ark. <laughs> it clearly says. All right. So there's two verses. Yes. One is, uh, or two passages. One is Exodus 16, 32 to 34. Yep. And that tells us that the mana was before Yehovah. Before Yehovah. And the other is Numbers 17, 25, which tells us that Aaron's rod was before the testimony. Well, what's the testimony? Mm-hmm. We have this full phrase, which is the ark of the testimony of Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Why is it called that? Because Moses actually heard the voice of Yehovah coming from between the cherubs. Yes. Uh, and so it's called the testimony because Yehovah is yes. testifying to him. Um, so we've got these two things that are in the presence of Yehovah or in the presence of the ark mm-hmm. of Yehovah. Um, so, you know, the manna being before Yehovah is understood, I think rightfully so, that it's before the ark um, when the ark is later made. Um, or maybe it was even made at that time. Um, so, uh, yeah, and what your confusion comes is from the book of Hebrews. Well, he- no, my confusion Hebrews, is that, not right? only that I was, in, uh, I, was in, I was in the desert with you, Nehemiah. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were in the desert, and we went to uh, Solomon's And, and I'll mic. post that photo, if I remember, on the page. Uh, okay, I, we have thank a photo you. Of it. That'd yeah. be awesome. So we were, at the, uh, we were in the desert, and we were at the Solomon's uh, Copper Mines, which, by the way, we actually went into those places and saw... The, uh, the that's amazing. He can just pull up, pull up the picture. I'm looking you right here at, at the this photo picture that I took when I was with you. And <laughs> so, uh, so, folks, yeah. we're, we're we're down there at Solomon's Copper Mines for a couple of other reasons. Uh, but one of the things a place we, called Timna. Yeah, Timna. We did go. There is a there's a model of the, uh, the tabernacle. Of the tabernacle. And um, and and so we we went in there, and I was very thankful that you were willing to uh, to go with me. There's a tour guide, and they and they 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 tend to talk about it from the perspective. If correct me if I'm wrong. As if you're reading the book of Hebrews. Well, so 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 it's a very unusual thing because Timnah is an, one of Israel's national parks. But in the middle of the national park, there's a separate place that you pay a separate entry fee to. Mm-hmm. And it's run by Christian missionaries. Mm-hmm. That's extremely unusual in Israel that the state of Israel would, would give a platform for Christian missionaries. I don't know of any other example of that anywhere in Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and the Christian missionaries set up this uh, model of the ark. And they actually ask you a question when they're going to give you the tour. They say, are you Jews or Christians? And if you say you're a Jew, they don't, and I've done this actually, they don't say a word about the New Testament or Jesus. And mm-hmm. that's because they're, you know, they, they don't want to, um, in Israel, it's very sensitive mm-hmm. missionizing to Jews. But if you say, oh, you know, I'm Christian or I'm Messianic or something, and I and I know because I'm not Christian or Messianic, but I've been with Christians and Messianics. And then I hear the other side of the story and then they present it and they'll say, you know, here is the red in the tabernacle and that represents the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here is the blue in the tabernacle and that represents the, the cloak of, uh, the royal cloak of Jesus, and, you know, yeah. so everything becomes a symbol for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things you see going into the, their model of the tabernacle is they've got the Ark of the Covenant. Obviously, it's, you know, made of like styrofoam and, you know, gold paint, mm-hmm. but whatever. It's, it's really nice. Um, and you and it's got the two cherubim over it and you can slide it open and your face doesn't melt like in the movie with Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see inside is, is the is the two tablets of stone and you see the rod of Aaron and you see the, the bowl of mana right there in, inside in the, in the model the of the ark. Mm-hmm. And you've got to wonder, do they even know this verse that we just read? Like we just read a verse that says there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which Moses, Moses there. placed there at Chorev. Uh, 
and, and they're setting up a model and they're basing it on Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 which is, says which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant or the tablets of the covenant the tablets mm-hmm. of stone so in Hebrews 9 4 there's three things in there um, at least according to the way it's normally read so uh, yeah as opposed to in um, the verse we just read in verse 9 which you know in, in 1 Kings 8 9 where there's only two there's only the, the two tablets of stone um, and not this rod of Aaron and the and the mm-hmm. pot of mana they mm-hmm. have it a golden pot in the I heat. think and, and I think what's golden. interesting about yeah. it though is that is that how when you're reading earlier and you hear about the uh, the, the, the the staff of the uh, yeah. the budding staff of Aaron yeah. and the mana you can quote unquote assume when he says before, they could just right. assume that that means that it was in. Right. So, so if there was someone who, what you're really saying, can, can we say it? Yeah. Is if there's someone who read the Torah and hadn't read the second book of Kings, or or sorry, the first book of Kings, um, or the book of Kings in Hebrew, mm-hmm. they might think that the rod of Aaron exactly. and, the, and, now, now, now my confession. and the bowl was, was in the ark and not in, can I next my, to the ark. My confession. Sure. So my confession is that if I, before getting anywhere else and just reading it through the first time, when I hear about that, I'm thinking, is there an inconsistency? And I'm thinking during the moving, there was a moving moving problem. Maybe when during during uh, 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 Josiah, where they had some confusion. <laughs> Seriously? And they, no, no, I'm telling you, oh. I'm thinking. No, somebody lost the. the no, somebody went in there and took it. Took you know, who knows uh, what happened? So the, what was confusing for me was what happened to it. You know, what at, at some point it was physically next to. Uh, the ark, and then at some point, and they said, "Where do we put this? I'll stick it in the box." Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> what? It could be. Look, yeah. it's possible that yeah. at the time that, and look, this this is the type of you know explanation that apologists will come up with, yeah. Yeah. and they'll say yes. In the time that One Kings eight was written, it was next to it. But later, when Josiah was renovating, they put it. Uh, inside. They, they put it inside. And it's Hebrews is referring to that lady later. Yeah. Uh, I've never heard that before, but it's very clever. Yeah. I would offer a different explanation. And look, some people will take this and they'll say, "All right, we're going to use this, so we're going to hit the Christians over the head with right, this, right, right, and say the Book of Hebrews is full of lies." This is what they'll do. I want to offer another explanation. Um, and it's possible that the book of Hebrews is wrong. As, as a Karite Jew, I, I, that's, if you want to say that, that, that's fine. That's entirely an acceptable explanation. Uh, you know, For me, it's not scripture. But I, I tend to think that the author of Hebrews wasn't a complete idiot. And if that's the case, I, I just want to – one of the things I always emphasize in reading the Tanakh is to look at the context. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's disingenuous to then when you talk to – I'm speaking to the Jews here – to go talk to a Christian and then ignore the context when looking at his book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it helps your argument. So let's look. Can we read Hebrews nine, please? Okay, Hebrews nine, verse three, and all of. And the other thing about Hebrews, just the overall context. This is my opinion. Don't be offended by this, Christian people and messianics. Hebrews presents itself as an allegory, and part of an allegory is not everything should be taken literally in an allegory. Um, when we read that Judah, and this is an allegory in the Torah, that Judah is a lion. And he roars and he rips up his prey. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't then say, oh, well, if Judah's a lion, he's actually a lion and, and he does everything a lion does. He mm-hmm. you know, goes and poops in the street like a lion. Like, mm-hmm. no, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Let's not push an allegory too far. Not every element fits in the allegory. Um, and um, Hebrews 9, verse 3, it says, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, um, and what it's talking here is the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh Kodeshim. Verse 4, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. 
and over it the cherubims of gold shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. So in those three verses, nine, three to four, five in, in Hebrew, you know, in Hebrews, um, uh, there's two ways of reading it. One is that there was um, this ark, and inside the ark there were these three things, and that's obviously how the Christian missionaries at Park Timna in southern Israel set it up. Mm-hmm. Or what I think probably they meant is that there's this thing, the holiest of holies, the Devere, and in the Devere there are um, one, two, three, four, whatever, a bunch of things. There's the golden censer. That's the whole question about the golden censer. But anyway, um, uh, that inside this area is the Ark of the Covenant and the golden pot of mana and the rod uh, of Aaron. Um, and not that they're in the and the tables of the covenant, the ta- two tablets of stone, and not necessarily that they're in the Ark, but that they're in the holiest of all place in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about what you're yeah. saying, Nehemiah, is that the interpretation that I brought up as far as us seeing that inside the Ark and that in Timnah, yeah. that's them saying, we're going to take that Further, they're not they're not thinking of any other option. The option is it's right. either got to be inside. It's got to be inside the ark. Right. Yeah. Anyway, and I don't know which one it is. To me, all you know, what's important is verse nine. And what's verse nine about? Verse nine is not about hitting Christians over the head. That's not what mm-hmm. what. Uh, but but actually, I think it is about hitting somebody over the head. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Please. And who is it about? When this was written by the prophet who wrote the book of Kings, what he wanted you to know is that ark of the covenant, which we say is called by the name of Jehovah, it doesn't have an idol in it. Because they lived in a world of idolatry. Mm. And the thought was, we've got this secret thing we're not allowed to see. It's inside. It's in this you know, secret hidden room. And there must be a statue in there. Mm. Because we can see this God has power. And we know that there's power in statues and idols mm. and, and you know, images. And the point was, guess what? There was no statue in there. All there was was um, the only thing in there were the two tablets of stone with the word of Jehovah on them. And um, and the commandments of Jehovah, meaning, and, and, that's, and, that, and that's a significant. And I it. say, what else do we need? <laughs> Amen. In other words, I mean, I think that's what's so amazing. And I, I've been, I've been mesmerized by this for the last couple of years um, regarding uh, the many, the many theories that there's been about the ark and all of that sort of thing. But what I think about it when I read this verse is the power of the fact that God did create these two stones. Yeah. With when I mean by create, Moses cut them out. He put on there those those ten words, what we call the ten matters, and those and that and that that word is still good today. And I have no problem with it and still having the ark in that very same spot because of the testimony. And I think that there are even those false those other religions that that uh, that argue whether it's uh, the the Al Aqsa or whatever that many of them even oh. no even many of them know the significance of that place being a place where God has placed His name forever, and they understand forever being forever, and they're fighting tooth and nail to make sure that no one else acknowledges that. So for me, it's really been a, a long process and it's going to be a process that I'm going to stay in to try to help people understand the significance of this verse, Nehemiah. Not only this verse about what's in the ark, but the significance of a house being built for the ark, quote unquote, for his name. And for the name of Yehovah. Yeah, for the name Yehovah. Yeah. So, and again, I, 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 I think scripture shows us that it, the ark, which was called by the name, him saying, you know, being brought into, in, into the presence and what Solomon built and what it was built for, I have no problem with uh, forever being forever, that, that uh, his name is still there. And as a result, mm-hmm. we, you and I, whether we go there... I would see, say on the contrary, I have I, a problem with forever not being forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> forever is not like forever, that. then what does it all mean? <clears throat> I love it. All right, so it says here, it happened that when the priest came, uh, basically this is what's inside, it says it happened that when the priest came from the Devere, or the holy place. I'm no, sorry. this is Minah Kodesh. No, the Minah Kodesh. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. So that's the outer sanctuary. The outer sanctuary. So we've got three sections. We've got the, the courtyard, the holy, no, and the holy, holy of holies. holies. 
Um, and the Devere is the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. So this is the, the middle section. They came yeah. from the middle section. And why is that? Because only the high priest on Yom Kippur goes into the Holy oh, of Holies. Holy of Holies, yes, yes. Yeah. So that when he uh, came from there, the cloud filled the house of Yehovah. Amen. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. And why, Wait why, a minute, wait a minute. Wait, no, hold on. Were these priests Christians? What are you talking about? Because they're in ministry, they're ministering. <laughs> no, we <laughs> talked about that. I've had people say, Nehemia, you have a ministry. That means you're a Christian. Well, wait a minute. It's That's exactly. actually the word in Hebrew. I, I explained that it, well, the Hebrew for ministry is lisharet bakodesh, to serve, mm-hmm. to minister in the holy. And that's exactly the word here in verse 11, lisharet, mm-hmm. um, lisharet, to serve, to minister. That's a correct translation, minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're ministering before the cloud, before Yehovah. Yeah, before the glory of Yehovah filled Amen. the house. And then Solomon said these words, Yehovah has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. Now, I'm just going to do something really yeah. quick here. Yeah. Uh, when he says that Yehovah has said that, I went through it. I was just looking through, and I and I, I really apologize again to ask ask you to do this, Nehemiah. I don't have my all my stuff with me. Half of it's in my suitcase. Yeah. Uh, but when he says Yehovah has said that he would, and it says dwell in the thick cloud. Yeah. I, I want to know if you'd be willing to uh, let us know what that word is, thick cloud. Yeah, and that could be the word of the week. Awesome. Can so you share it? yeah. So the word there is arafel. <clears throat> now in modern Hebrew. This is important to know. We've got biblical Hebrew and modern Hebrew, yeah. and a lot of things changed, uh, especially in the meaning of words and in syntax and grammar. Um, so one of the meanings, in modern Hebrew, RFL means fog, mm-hmm. um, like regular you know, fog and meteorological. Like you'll watch the, you know, the, the weather report, and it'll say there will be RFL, fog. But in biblical Hebrew, RFL is roughly translated as thick darkness, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's, a very un, it's an unusual word. So, for example, Exodus 20, verse 21 is the yep. Ten Commandments, and it says, And the people stood from afar, and Moses uh, went close, w- went uh, forward, went close to mm-hmm. the Arafel, Ashel Sham HaElohim, which there was God. So God was there in this Arafel. Mm-hmm. What is this Arafel? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11, it says, um, And you came close, and you stood under the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire. Until the the heart of heaven was uh, was dark and cloud and arafel, mm-hmm. so arafel is something specifically that we're seeing in the context of the revelation at Sinai. Twice, mm-hmm. two witnesses were the revelation of Sinai, um, Deuteronomy five twenty two. Um, these things which uh, uh, these things Jehovah spoke uh, to all your congregation in the fire uh, in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the arafel, a great voice, uh, etc. Um, so we've got again the ten the ten commandments RFL, um, and and then it's two Samuel twenty two ten. It says uh, and he stretched out heaven and he went down and there was RFL under his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we're we're having this this and I think we'll get to that section two yep. two seven twenty two. Um, so we've got this vision of God and there's RFL under his feet. He's standing on this RFL and then there's this, David describe that's David describing the appearance of God. And then again we have it in uh, Psalm ninety nine verse two where it says Anan ba'arafel svivav. There's cloud and RFL around him. Um, yes, and it says uh, righteousness and judgment are the 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 foundation of his of his throne yes so here's describing again the vision of god sitting on a throne and he's surrounded by a cloud and rfl so much so that rfl in in jewish mystical writings it has this mystical meaning it's like some supernatural you know angelic mm-hmm. force i'm not saying that but there's definitely this is a term that seems 
very closely tied in mm-hmm. to um, to describing this this vision of God. Mm-hmm. There's something up there in the heavenly court that has to do with RFL, and when we're seeing the glory of Jehovah, we're seeing RFL, and that's what happened here. Um, you know, Solomon sees the cloud, and the cloud comes out, and it covers everything, and um, and he says, Jehovah said to dwell in the RFL. He yeah. Now tell us about the word. Why has it got four four letters? That's a really good question. <laughs> so one of the th- principles we said is that every word in the Hebrew language is based on three, three letters. letters. And there is a category of exceptions. And nobody really knows why. But the category of exceptions are words that end with Lamed. Mm-hmm. So we have a whole bunch of words. Um, this is a complicated topic. But basically it's a root with four letters. We have Carmel. We talked, I think last mm-hmm. week it was. Yep. Um, it was actually a couple hours ago, guys. Um, but last week in the program, we talked about Mount Carmel, which is a four-letter word, Chafresh Mem Lamed. Again, we've got that Lamed, which is almost like this extra letter. Mm-hmm. And in that case, we would have to say the root is I and Resh Pei, mm-hmm. um, which what does that mean? It means mm-hmm. actually the back of the neck. Exactly. And what happens when you add Lamed to the back of the neck? It means this thick darkness. Why that is, I couldn't tell you. I don't know that anybody could tell you. But we've got, got a bunch a real, of words. I've got you, a really deep. You got a deep no, explanation. Oh, well, let's hear it. You got to pay for it, though. Okay, said it. Nineteen ninety-five. I'm just kidding. No, when I was looking yeah. at this, Naremia, one of the things that I was asking was, as I said, there's these four letters. I said, okay, so what's the root? And looking at the issue of the neck, and it, and and what was what kind of hit me was was um, the the placement also of where this arc is. You know, some people talk about um, the the parts of the body. Um, talking about the parts of the body being, you know, representative of God's heart, not the God's physical heart, God's head, God's neck, God's shoulders, katef, where where these things are. And it's funny, I was doing some uh, reading about that, and I thought, wow, what does it mean that this is uh, that this is dwelling in the the place that's like the name of the neck? What what is physically what is physically there? The ark, physically there. What does that what does it physically represent? Like God's word. God's uh, God's heart, God's mind, what He's thinking about. You know, you can't you can't go too far. But I just thought about that, and I thought, wonder what what the connection is with the fact that there's a, the neck, and then of course this thick darkness. So I don't know what it is, but I did think that was kind of interesting. I got no clue what you're talking yeah, about. That's I'm, okay. I'm, I'm too much of a literalist. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, this is for the deeper things. So okay. Yes. Like deeper teachings. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it says that this is where he's going to dwell in the thick cloud. I've surely built uh, for you a lofty, and he uses the word in English here, a lofty mm-hmm. house, a place uh, for your dwelling for just a couple thousand years. That, no, it says for your dwelling Until a new forever. dispensation would yeah. come along. What? It, forever? Yeah, that's what it says. Forever. So even now? For even now. Okay. And that's why I say, you know, we talk about his, his name being set there forever. Uh, physically, uh, practically, spiritually, um, that his name is still there, mm-hmm. and, and people say, "Well, no, 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 no," because now you got the, you know, the the foundation of that place with the golden temple and blah blah blah. You know, it's not there. I think you know, we have to find out where it changed. Where did? It, where is his name not there anymore? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, is that the reverse for that? Uh, there are many verses. <laughs> that is, <laughs> if you could help me find it, it'd be great. I'm sitting here. You're right. <laughs> no, the verses. I, I mean, that where it says that's not his. Oh, where it's not. No, 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 where it is. No, where it is. No, his okay. name is still there. Okay. So, um. It says here, um, and, and let me, shall, I, shall I continue to read here? Please. Okay. Then the king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, blessed be Jehovah, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father, David, and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying, 
Since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name Yehovah, the God of Israel. And again, connecting, mm-hmm. building for the name. In other words, it's not just like, <laughs> how can I say it? Uh, it's not like building a house and just putting physically yud heh the name there, but who he is, his essence of who he is, that this place would be built representing um, everything that he is um, as we're able to understand it. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, he did not choose a city and all those to build a house for them. But the Lord said to my father, David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will be born to you, he will build the house for my name. And again, we see this over and over again for my name, that's being built for my name, the house for my name, the name. It's almost like God, that the author of Kings is just, you know, he's one of these sacred namers. He's like a sacred name. He's obsessed with he's the obsessed name. He's obsessed with the name. <laughs> Why does he have to keep talking about this name? It's, yeah. This is causing division. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what he says. He and it's interesting. I, I mean, I count here just off the top of my head. One, two, three, four, five, five different times or four times it talks about uh, for my name to be there. To build a house for the name of Yehovah, he will build a house for my name. The house for the name of Yehovah. I mean, it's four times there. The house for the name Yehovah, the I mean, God of Israel. I mean, how many times is this? Over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Mm-hmm. And um, in verse 20, it says, He established uh, his word, which he spoke. Um, and I rose up un, uh, in place of David, my father, and I sat upon the throne of Israel as Yehovah spoke. And I built a house for the name of Yehovah, the God of Israel. And I placed there, um, uh, and I made there a place for the ark. Uh, which there was the covenant of Yehovah, referring to the the, tab, the the tablets of stone, which he made with our fathers when he took us out from the land of Egypt. Amen. Amen. And that is the end of the prophet's portion. Now, before before we continue, I want to say, I want to do, yeah. I want to do a ministry minute here. Yeah. Um, because I'm sitting here, Nehemiah, and I'm reading this passage, and it's, it's, it's kind of emotional for me. Because I, I remember all those years ago to be sitting across from the place where he caused his name to dwell. And me yeah. asking you the question about if you knew anything about the name Yehovah, and you asked if I, had a piece, if I had a piece of paper and pencil. And as a result of that one question and that answer led me on an entire journey also uh, to below the temple where I saw those huge stones. And, and that's where the vision for BFA came. The idea of having a, a biblical foundation for your faith. And so as a result of that, you know, we talk about sharing the information about God's time, God's Torah, God's Tetragrammaton, his name. But again, when I think about um, the fact that he placed his name there and I'm sitting across and I don't even know this at the time, by the way, because my background says it's not important what's happening with the Temple Mount. Who cares about that? That's where the Islam. In other words, is, you're, we're, we're sitting across from the Temple Mount, and to you, that's just some archaeological. Well, what are you stuff. talking about? There's some wall <laughs> where some people are praying. I don't know no. anything about it. I don't know anything about what the significance of that is until I open the Bible and start reading in it, its language, history, and context. Come to find out, when I'm across from that place asking you that question, mm-hmm. I'm literally across from the place where his name is placed. And since then, it's been mesmerizing <laughs> to me. And so much of the ministry has been built around helping people encounter God's time, God's Torah, and God's name. But all of these things give you a chance to really interact with scripture. And, and again, from my perspective, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, what does that have to do with me? What does that what does that have to do? Come to find out, it's got everything to do with it. Solomon, after he builds the temple, I know we're not talking about this section, 
He talked about me coming, the foreigner who would come and pray toward that place. And they would father would hear my prayer and answer it. And I mean, I just I just have to tell you, you know, for me, um, I'm sitting here today. I'm humbled to be here today. But the fact is that we're opening up the word of God and we're talking about it. We're sharing it. And it all came from this encounter, literally being across Look, that place. You just brought that up. You can't just throw that out there. Oh. So, so what we didn't get to in the prophet's portion, because it's not in the portion, is um, is the prayer of Solomon. Exactly. And the prayer of Solomon for this, exa- like it's a few verses later. Yep. Verse 41. Um, it says, uh, And also con- uh, to the, the Gentile. That's the word that specifically is Gentile, who is not from your people Israel, and he shall come from a far, law, a far off land, Liman Shemecha, for the sake of your name, yeah. for they will hear your great name, yes. and your mighty uh, hand and your outstretched arm, and he will come to pray to this house. Mm. You will hear, uh, you will hear from the heavens, the place of your, your dwelling, etc. And do all according to that which uh, uh, he shall, the Gentile shall call to you, in order that all the nations of the, the of the of the earth will know your name. Mm-hmm. So it is. So according to Scripture, all the nations need so, to know your name. And this is and why, you'll answer their prayer when they pray in your name. And, wow. and this is why this is why my brother. And you want to skip this? this? No, no, not skip it. This is why I'm talking about it. What I'm saying is this is why and it my says friend, to fear you like your people Israel, like your people and Israel. to know that your name is called upon this house which I have built. And that's Can why. I get a name and that's why me? my friend who I'm here in Jerusalem. I said while I'm working, there's one guy I know I have to see. It's my friend Yehuda Glick who says, who says that that place is still a place for prayer for all people, yeah. and it becomes the place where they say that's the one thing you must not do. I must not pray there. He must not pray there. You must not pray there. No one can pray there except for the ones that are up there under the present authority of the the Jordanian walk. Those are the only people that can pray. And I'm supposed to just sit by and not say anything about it. I'm going to say something about it. Can't you go there and just pray in the name of Allah? No, I'm going to (laughs) go. Why do you have to use this this, this name of this Hebrew God? Here we go. Here we go. I mean, so, so basically all I'm saying is, you know, this is really significant. I cannot keep quiet about it. His name is there today, you know. And, of course, you, you brought up a really touchy thing. You said, you know, we've changed the name. Instead of it being Beit Yehovah, Beit Mikdash. Kind of this little separate, even though that one's not really there, separate. It's so holy name. we can't even say what we it's holy about. say his name, you know. So, for me, this is really a big deal. And, again, I want to tell people, um, you know, I, I think that there's an opportunity for us to get, peel open the Word of God like we're doing. And find out what it says first. Understand what it says. Before we get to interpretation, whether it's inside the ark, outside the ark, you know, little gold plates or no gold plates. What does it say first? Gold plates. You know, I'm talking about... That's what from Mormonism. About. What are you talking about? No, no, no. The gold, no, the little thing, the little gold thing that we saw in the uh, Timna. They had the little gold sensors. It's the stone plate. No, no, they had the stone... And the, the gold, gold bowl. Not <laughs> gold plates. Okay. What are you I'm sorry. I'm sorry, folks. Look, it's been a long trip. <laughs> but anyway, that's all I have to say. Is that this has been a, an amazing, an amazing thing to have all these years later. We're still teaching the yeah. Word of God and giving people a chance yeah. to interact with it for themselves. And, and you know, this is really what, what ex- you know, reading verses like we just read here. And I know it's not in the prophets portion, but we just read these these three verses. 1 Kings 8, 41 to 43, where it's talking about the Gentile coming. And then, you know, I, in my ministry, McCor Hebrew Foundation, what I want to do is empower people with information. And, I, and for me, the image is, 
you know, um, uh, the wall that Nehemia built. I'm named after Nehemia, and he came and he built the wall. And one person said to me, oh, wall, that, that's to create divisions between us. No. On the contrary, you know, what I think of with the wall and I think of the story of Nehemiah, it wasn't to create division. It was so you could defend yourself and then you can stand up proud and interact with your fellow. But first, you've got to have that wall that that that, you know, you've got to build the wall and, and have your, um, you know, your structure. And, and we and the and the image there is they're standing on the wall and they've got the guys with the shofars because the enemies are coming and they they're building with one hand mm-hmm. and they've got the weapon in the other to defend themselves. And um, I want to empower the people with information. And, and, I, and one of the major criticisms I face on a regular basis, sometimes daily, is what are you doing with these Gentiles? What are you doing with people who don't think like you, who don't believe like you, who aren't of your same? You know, they're, they're not in the box that we want to put you in. Mm-hmm. And, and what I say is I am walking out this fulfillment of Scripture. It's talking here about people who will come and they'll you know, grab hold of the Jew and they'll say, we've heard God's with you. And then it says, of course, in the prophet, and he will push them away and say, go and pro- go through the process of conversion. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, that you know, we've got to make them you know, jump through these hoops. And uh, it's not what it's about. They, you know, the, what, I, what I'm dealing with are people who are having a walk with God and they need information. And they've heard that God is with us and we've preserved the oracles of God. And, and, and it's our duty as Israel uh, to share that information with them. And that's what my core Hebrew foundation is about, is getting people back to the sources, empowering them with that information so they can have that walk of God and own that information for themselves. Uh, and they can, they can build, the, you know, build the wall themselves. Um, and, um, you know, so that's what I do on my website, uh, nehemiaswall.com. I got a weekly newsletter where I send out information of all kinds, information about the calendar, information about new teachings, um, and, uh, you know, I want to people, encourage people to go to NehemiasWall.com and sign up for the free newsletter. And don't forget to sign up for uh, the Nehemiah's Wall podcast. You can do that on iTunes or your favorite podcast app mm-hmm. and get the, um, the teachings that are coming out and empower yourself with the information. That's what it's really about. Awesome. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to pray uh, at the end of, of this. But, you know, it's really show. interesting, uh, Nehemiah. Uh, you know, we, we wrote a book together um, called A Prayer to Our Father, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's Prayer. And where we got a lot of controversy before we started writing that book, yeah. people said to me, how can you um, write about such a significant prayer from such a significant person with a person who doesn't believe and think and act uh, like you? And you had people also come and say to you, mm-hmm. how can you be working with this guy? And I think everybody um, would, 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 would agree. And I, I know that this has been for me. My appreciation for w- what I didn't know um, in terms of language, history, and context um, has just gone to a completely different level. Um, the fact that I, the fact that I can actually open up those words and think about that prayer in its original language, history, and context, and how it's connected to what we just wrote, what we're what we're studying in the Torah, the study uh, studying in the prophets, like this stuff now is like it's like it's I don't even know how to put it. It's like multi-level dimensions of excitement that I have now. And I want people to have the access to that information. And you know what? It's a really sad thing. A lot of times the people that I've built, dealt with in the past, they, they have some of the inspiration, but they don't, they don't want to deal with the information. You know, the information isn't as, uh, you know, it isn't as, uh, how can I use the word? Inspirational? <laughs> That means yeah, they don't really understand it. Up, yeah, caught, yeah, caught up with it. But um, we're going to do some things. I want to announce some things hopefully in the next couple of weeks, Nehemiah, from Israel oh, yeah. um, that are awesome. going to be they're going to be helpful for people in this. So I want to say a prayer. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close? No, wonderful. Okay. I'm so excited because you just got on a plane less than 24 hours. Mm-hmm. You just got off of a plane less than 24 hours ago, landing here in the land of Israel. You're now in the city of Jerusalem, and you're going to 
actually fulfill a prophecy that that mm-hmm. was spoken uh, by Solomon in his prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it now? Three thousand. Four years ago, 3,000 years ago, you're actually 3,000 years later mm-hmm. going to pray in the name of Yehovah yeah, in this land, in this place, just like he spoke. I've got chills. Amen. I'm excited about this. Amen. Can you pray? Amen. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity. Uh, Yehovah, we give you praise, glory, and honor for the way that you've worked out circumstances, the way that you've uh, been maestro once again, that you've brought us into this place. And we didn't have any idea that we would be in the land of the prophets uh, recording this. You knew uh, you, 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 you knew before we even had any concept of it. Now we're here. So in humility, thank you for the fact that we can look toward that place where you placed your name. We can pray toward that place, um, not to make it as something that's, that's not of you, but rather that's something that reminds us just of who you are. Uh, Yehovah, you, you, you were, you are, and you shall be in our life. Now, as we lift our hands and our hearts towards you, we just ask that you would intervene on behalf of those that are listening, that all of us would desire to understand your word better in its original language, history, and context so that we can know what it means to live your word out, to love you with our entire heart, soul, and our mind, and, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So um, bless us, protect us, and keep us, and we'll continue to give you all the praise, glory, and honor, Yehovah, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. For more information, please visit NehemiahsWall.com and BFAInternational.com.